Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Meet the New Boss sports business podcast, The Sportacast. Yeah, do you like Madam Commissioner? I heard that on CBS for the announcement. It was, like, was that like what you want? You're going to demand around the office? I will answer to nothing but Madam Commissioner? Oh my God, I almost fell off my chair when they said that. So no, it's all good. Just Jessica. Just call me Jessica. Well, Jessica Berman, for those who missed the news, the new commissioner of the NWSL, you came over from the National Lacrosse League, Deputy Commissioner to Nick Sakevich, who also departed recently. Let me ask you the, the biggest thing, and I know this from coaching, the sliding over into that first chair, right? It's not a far trip distance-wise, but it is a far trip in every other respect. And I see it from head coaches in that all the responsibility that comes with the media and, and dealing with outside entities that perhaps a lot of number twos or assistants don't realize fall on the shoulders of the boss. What is your understanding, if you have one yet, the difference between chair number two and chair number one? It's a great question. I've uh, actually, when I got this offer, called one of my many mentors, Gary Bettman, and asked him about that very question. Because when you're in a number two or a number three seat, especially if you're very involved in a hard worker and ambitious, you feel like you're the one making the decisions. You sort of like delude yourself into thinking <laughs> that these are your decisions and that you're accountable for them, mostly because you stand behind your work product and you want to prepare your boss for success. So it's not from an ego perspective. It's more just like I have ownership over this. But as I've learned, um, even moving into the number two seat and now this transition in anticipation of being in the commissioner role, I recognize that it's not the same. The level of accountability and responsibility and uh, responsibility uh, will not feel the same. And and I did not expect that when I moved into the deputy commissioner role. But now I know enough to know that it is going to feel different. All right, let me ask you this. And I'm going to keep a little bit macro with the start. I'll let Eben drill down deep on NWSL matters because I know he's just frothing there to, to, to get it done. <laughs> but uh, David Stern had two distinct pieces to his management style. And of course, you know, David worked with Gary. So I'm connecting dots here way back when. But David's management was built on two pillars, fear and micromanagement. Do you have any pillars? What would, if somebody said to me, you know, what is Jessica's management style? I said, well, I don't know. Let's see. What, what do you have pillars that would you base on, base your management styles on? 
I, I do, actually. And I, I've thought a lot about this mostly because I'm an introspective person and I, I think a lot about leadership and I read a lot about leadership. Um, the first, I would say, is uh, consensus building, which the underlying skill for that is, of course, being a good listener. Um, I really pride myself in uh, the skill of uniting differing perspectives for a common outcome and really helping people to understand the why. Why are we making this decision? What is the rationale for it? I've often said context is everything. And I often feel that when decisions are being made or being socialized with stakeholder groups, you skip the part where you explain why this is important, make assumptions about what people understand about the context. And my style is really to remove any of those assumptions, to start from a place of education, listening, and learning, and help people to get there, uh, even if at the end of the day, they're not all so thrilled with the outcome. Uh, really, they understand why they had to maybe compromise. My second pillar, you asked for two, my second pillar is really fo intentionally focusing on diversity, diversity of perspectives, diversity of backgrounds. And I've literally trained myself to surround myself with people who think differently, lean into the moments where someone who thinks differently is challenging the way that I think. Those are the moments where you're like, they don't get it. I don't, I, I'd rather just like go to somebody who thinks like me because it feels easier. I've actually trained myself to say that those uncomfortable moments are the moments where you can be best prepared to make decisions. And we know that companies that have C-suites with diverse executives make better business decisions. And that those are the two areas that I would say define my leadership. It's definitely not fear. And <laughs> definitely, I, I forget what the other one you said was. Micromanagement. Micromanagement. No, definitely not fear. Definitely not micromanagement. But I, I do mean, say there are a lot of key learnings from David Stern. He's a, he was an iconic leader. You notice that most people say I surround, I want to be surrounded by people smarter than me and, and just didn't say that. So, okay, you're the smartest person in the room. No, that, I did not. not. No, I, you, you're supposed to be a friendly, fair. Scott. Oh, it's, it's all good. It's all good. You know who you remind me of? And I know this not from this particular coach leader, but I know it from his players. And that is Mike Krzyzewski. And of course, I mean, anybody from a leadership perspective would a like huge to be compliment. compared to, Right. Well, oh. you know, it, it's true because I have spoken to a number of his players, and whether that be you know Grant Hill or Christian Leitner, and they have all said the same thing. We are willing to run through the wall for the coach. However, all of us, and I think it, it, it is something to do with sort of the academic acumen of the university and, and the type of athletes that were recruited, but Grant used to say to me, I just need to understand why. You can't tell me to run through that wall without telling me why I'm about to risk life and limb and injury. You tell me why, and I agree with you, smash right through. I'm all in. So I think that is a big component and, and very, very Coach K of you. Love it. Although I went to Michigan, as you know, so I'll have to say go blue. <laughs> very Jamal Howard of you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Thank a little you. different. <laughs> We're speaking with Jessica Berman on the day that she was announced uh, as the new NWSL commissioner. And Jessica, let's talk about NWSL. It's uh, coming off of uh, a difficult year that also saw, obviously, a, a lot of commercial growth for the league. Give us a sense as you kind of look at the league right now where it is and also kind of what the opportunity laying in front of you is as franchise valuations grow, as more fans come, et cetera. I tend to be a glass half full 
type person. I like to approach things from a positive place. So this is not to in any way minimize the challenges that the league has faced because I acknowledge those as legitimate and uh, definitely followed the issues in the fall from the sidelines. But I will say I feel very fortunate that I'm coming in at a time where really things have largely stabilized. A couple of key things that the league has sort of gotten behind it with the leadership of Marla Messing, who stepped in as the interim CEO. The first is, of course, uh, the CBA, which was just announced a couple of weeks ago. And having those ground rules and uh, the foundation for the relationship between the union and the league, its first CBA, which is such a monumental moment, is just a huge, a huge win uh, for the league in terms of stability. I know you have a history in in, in labor negotiating at, in, in your lawyer days. Give people a sense of how big a deal it is to have that kind of long-term labor piece and what that means for a league and its players to kind of work together as opposed to kind of sitting at, at, at opposite sides of a table in, in, in negotiating. Well, it, it should create clarity, at least on the macro issues. Now, um, as someone who lives in the weeds of labor relationships between management and union, as as I talked about with Megan Burke, the head of the union, uh, no matter how in sync you are with your union relationship, there will always be areas that you disagree. The goal of a positive and constructive labor relationship is the ability to work on solutions proactively to identify issues because no matter how many drafts were exchanged of a particular sentence where you were, well, maybe there's a comma here. Well, maybe we should take out the comma. You think it changes the meaning of the sentence. That same sentence will have an entirely different meaning when new facts are applied. No matter how many times you brainstorm unintended consequences, that is just the nature of collective bargaining and collective bargaining agreements. And so the key right now, and so I don't want to suggest the work is done. The agreement is just really, I view it as the starting point. You're now at the starting line of the race. The race is really about building the kind of relationship with the union that allows you to have open and transparent conversations and pick up the phone and say, hey, we seem to have a disconnect about what this provision means. Here are the facts. What do you think? We go back and look at the language. They go back and look at the language. And then we figure out whether we can reach a resolution. And uh, that that's always been my approach to labor relations and collective bargaining. We, we've talked a lot on the show about how much power, social power and clout that NBA players seem to have relative to teams. The NBA stars are, are a part of American culture. I would argue that the NWSL, I'm curious to get your thoughts. I think the athletes have a, a lot of power, maybe relative to, to, to the power that the teams have. It seems like to me, having long-term labor peace maybe allows you guys to, 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 to kind of work together on those synergies and, and, and really maximize using the, the platform of the players in a way that helps lift all boats and not just player boats. Yes, these athletes are household names. They are icons. They have literally transcended the cultural narrative. Uh, they have put women's soccer and frankly, even just soccer period on the map in this country in a very different way. And it is in part their celebrity status. They, their activism and their cultural relevancy beyond what is happening on the pitch is what is making their platform so great. And I am hopeful and believe that by the league, the teams, the players in the union working together, we can really harness 
that platform, that amplification that can happen when you unite stakeholders. And that, as I said earlier, that's really my skill set. That's my superpower. I think everybody has a superpower. Um, that for me is the the thing that makes me, I think, uniquely positioned to really lean in and help this league to unlock its potential. Jessica, you use the word pitch. Is that new to your lexicon? <laughs> were, were, you, were you a field person like a month ago and now you're a pitch person? Like, come on, come clean. Oh, I love it. Well, I am a soccer fan. Let me yeah. say that. Um, my kids, give us your teams. Give us your teams. Give us well, the big league and the, who you root for. Well, my kid, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, channel as you and I have discussed, Scott, because yeah. we, we live a lot th- vicariously through our children, as we've discussed. Um, both of my boys are huge soccer fans. My older son is an Arsenal fan, um, and my younger son's like a diehard Real Madrid fan. Um, so I, I know the lexicon partly as a fan, directly. Definitely, my kids would never let me say field. Um, And they are huge, very authentic soccer fans, absolutely, and follow soccer in this country as well and are very excited about me being in the soccer ecosystem. All right, I'm going to go macro again. You're entering women's sports at a time of great change and acceleration of attention and investment. And our friends over at the Sports Innovation Lab, Angela Ruggiero, they had their fan project. Like data-fueled, not just sort of this observational show-don't-tell, showing why investment in women's sports is a smart idea. And I know Evan and I have discussed it on this show when we saw the Washington Spirit going for $35 million from Michelle Kang and the fact that Todd Bowley wanted it at $25 million. Give me the elevator pitch, if you would, or they, all right, let's say we're on the high floor, the high floor elevator pitch on why the private equity firm of Novi Williams and Soshnik wants to put its <laughs> money behind the NWSL. Well, first, let me ask you, how much capital do you have? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. <laughs> do you have uh, enough money to buy a team, Scott? Because if not, we have other people waiting. <laughs> I'm just uh, I'm so, uh, This is just me getting on the runway. Probably not enough, but uh, I am very comfortable. <laughs> very comfortable. You have Esquire after your name. I'm very comfortable with LP after mine. It. Limited partner. Um, very, very limited. <laughs> right. I. What's been made clear... And the da- as you said, the data doesn't lie. Fans of women's sports are more likely to engage both with their time and their wallet. And there has been data released, and I'm very familiar with the Sports Innovation Lab Fan Project. As you may know, I'm on the Women's Executive Network board with Angela and the work that she has done, as well as Katie Donovan, uh, really is changing the narrative around women's sports that this is no longer a charity. It can't be thought of as a charity. This is a real business. And people the NCAA are volleyball, like the NCAA volleyball championship drew like 1.2 million viewers on ESPN. I like NBA and NHL would kill for that. Look at the women's hockey women's hockey game. Yeah. Women's Look hockey at the women's game, hockey right. rating that they got in the Olympics. It was unbelievable. I mean, people are ready to watch women performing at their best. I'm standing up here, Jessica. I'm wearing my Toronto Six sweatshirt today. Oh, I love it. Oh, my. I love their ownership group. I'm I'm so excited for them. I love Ted Nolan, Bernice Carnegie. I'm so excited for them to get engaged on the ownership side. It's going to be great for that league. Tell me about, tell me more. Oh, although you spilled a little bit there. Tell me more about your runway. How deep is it and what are you looking for and what sort of interest is, is there? 
Well, just to be clear, I'm 40 days pre my start date. So um, I've heard, <laughs> no I, right. I, I knew you would say that. Um, I've heard little drips of a lot of conversations and actually my phone is blowing up with um, inbounds on this in particular, because I, as you know, from our conversations on the NLL side, I've been working on expansion for the NLL for the last two and a half years. And we actually sold two expansion teams in the last two and a half years. So um, expansion is not new topic to me. And um, I've been told that there is significant interest and in now bringing in my ecosystem of contacts, I have no doubt that there'll be a robust process to talk about what team 13 and or 14 look like. Eben, I'm going to, I'll let you go, but you know what I heard right there and knowing what we know, like let's welcome Josai sports to the NWSL. That's what, that's what I'm hearing right now from Jessica Berman, who's 40 days out from her start date. I'm just saying, you know something I don't know because lean in. Go for it, Evan. Yeah, I, I would love to hear, Jessica, how you, and I don't know if you originally reached out to NWSL or, or if the search firm reached out to you, but how do you go about looking to see if this is a job you want? Are you talking to team owners? Are you talking to team partners? Who do you call to kind of start the process of saying, hey, do I want to, to work in the NWSL? They called me, uh, the search firm called me, and uh, you probably saw in the release, the league had hired James & Co. Uh, I knew Michelle James and Roycey just because the sports industry is really small. And they reached out to me um, in sort of a, a soft, um, do you know anyone slash we'd like to consider you as a candidate, um, which I think is sort of what they always do, the search firms, um, a little more of like a soft approach. Um, and as I was talking to them to learn more about the opportunity, both through the lens of thinking whether I would suggest anyone as well as throw my name in the ring, um, it, it occurred to me that this was something I should explore. And so that this process has been going on in sort of like fits and starts since, I don't know, maybe late November, early December, but it really didn't heat up until the last week or so. Um, you know, someone asked us when we were at the Wise Luncheon today, when did you, like, for how long have you known that you're going to be the NWSL commissioner? I'm like, I think a week, maybe less. Um, it's been really a, a whirlwind. Um, and so, yeah, it's a very interesting process. I've never been through it before, frankly. So, um, I don't know, sample size of one. Um, I thought it was very interesting that the union and the player search committee were part of the interview process as someone who comes from labor relations and with a labor background, I was very impressed, um, that they were part of the process. I actually That's super think, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I actually think, and I, I told this to the board in my final interview, they probably did it more for the union um, in terms of labor relations. For me, it actually gave me more comfort being hmm. interested in the role because, and this might be sort of counterintuitive, but in the last six months, there has been a lot of discussion about dysfunction in that relationship. And so seeing that the union was prepared to lean in, hearing their questions, being able to ask them questions was a real... Um, it, it sort of recast for me what this opportunity could be. It was a, it was a game changer moment for me. 
It's hard to imagine Demora Smith sitting in in the NFL discussions as it, it, when if they are ever ready to to pick a new commissioner. That's super interesting that 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 happened for sure. I, I don't like to talk about other people's businesses because I have no idea what is happening on the inside. But I would say that at least in this circumstance, I think it was very positive and constructive to the process. We are chatting with Jessica Berman, the commissioner of the NWSL. Jessica, one thing that I heard on CBS this morning, where you, you know you made your first appearance as commish, uh, and, and I'm not picking on journalists here, but the narrative of oh, you're one of so few, you're the only woman in the room, and 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 you know you said no, I, I'm cognizant that I don't look like everybody else, and I kind of turned to my wife and I was like, I'm not sure if that's the narrative anymore. I I go to these events and I talk to teams and there has been a real effort and result in women in leadership positions in sports. How would you characterize where we are in terms of C-suite and we all know about ownership. I mean, that's, you know, that, that, that's a different strata, but that, that C-suite executive decision-making role in sport for women? Uh, in the process of the inflection point or turning point. And I think we all know that with culture change, it doesn't happen overnight. I, I always think about diversity and inclusion as really two separate things. Diversity is somewhat, I'm not going to take credit for this. I always wish I remember who said this, but I can't figure out the quote, who to attribute the quote to, but I'll repeat it and just acknowledge it's not my own. Diversity is getting the invitation to the party. Inclusion is having fun at the party. I think we've done an outstanding job on the diversity side in recent years slash decade. The inclusion part is the harder work. Number one, because it's harder to measure. Number two, because I think it's systemic. It is it is those micro moments where you might be an EVP at a league or on a team and you're the only woman or maybe you're one of two women and there's six other men. What does it feel like when you contribute to the conversation? Are you Is your opinion valued? Is it sought out? Do you have um, influence to execute on your strategies? Those things, number one, like I said, harder to measure. Number two, take more time. And I think just and this is just anecdotal because again I don't I don't know how you measure this but anecdotally talking to my peers in the industry and you're right there are a lot more of them than there were even I would say like pre-pandemic it feels like there's every day there's a new announcement of a woman team president or a woman leader and it's awesome but behind the scenes anecdotally no data to support it but just what I hear from my peers is that that change of the inclusion part, like, are you having fun at the party? Not always. I'm not always having fun at the party. Um, I'm still the perceived or actual minority or underrepresented in the room. I still feel like it's hard for my voice to be heard. I still feel like there's a little bit of like a different standard in terms of like how I've put forward. I'm not talking about me. I'm just, I'm sort of like representing what I've heard. So you asked my assessment, doing much better on the diversity side, still a lot of work to do on the inclusion side. All right, we have about a minute and a half, two minutes left. So since we can now 
hear your voice and you do have a fairly pretty big soapbox there, shout it from the rooftops. What do we expect to see from the NWSL? What, what, innovation, uh, in collaboration, what do we expect to see? What, what are those, those defining things we might see moving forward? Well, again, hard for me to say because as I as I said earlier, my style is to listen before I take action. So I have a lot of work to do. And most of that work, at least initially, is going to be a listening tour. I have a very specific strategy that I've mapped out um, literally by week of the stakeholders that I wish to connect with and spend time with one-on-one to really understand what the opportunities are, where are the challenges, where are the landmines to really inform the strategy. And that includes not just on the ownership and management side, it includes on the player side, and it also includes perspectives from people who are maybe not in the soccer ecosystem or the NWSL ecosystem. Because I think, again, as I said earlier, diverse perspectives are really important. I really think those new voices, those new um, influences can really help catalyze the growth of the league. So that's sort of point one. But point two, I guess all of the above in terms of what what you just laid out, Scott. And it's some of that is not all that different from what I've been doing at the NLL as a comparable sort of challenger property that is emerging, looking to grow, risk tolerant, innovative, looking to find ways to reach the next generation of fans, willing to try new things, willing to do proof of concept with partners, media or sponsor, licensing or otherwise. And I'm really excited to be able to execute on those concepts. All right. Eben knows this and all the listeners do too. I often refer to my son as the focus group of one. Oh, I do that too. I have a focus group of two. you 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 have double. You have a focus group of two. Can you give me one thing that you have gleaned from your focus group of two as it pertains to soccer in particular? Oh, um, two things. Can I give you two things? Absolutely. Um, One for each. This weekend, my 11-year-old son, I'm not joking, actually, he literally called every card store in our area to ask them whether they were carrying NWSL trading cards and gave me a report of the Target, Walmart, this store, that store, what they said. You know, this one said that, you know, people are actually asking for that, like in a surprise sort of way. Is is your 11-year-old a McKinsey intern? Market research here, yeah. (laughs) You know what? I'm a single mom, so they've heard me working in the sports business for their entire lives, and I do calls, like, Eavesdropping on the eavesdropping on the phone calls. They yep. they're like ready to run a league. Probably they'll take my job. You know they're they're ready. So um, that's point one. Point two is just um, the interactivity, whether that's like fantasy, video games, um, anything that allows them to feel like they can touch and feel the product and feel closer to the product is what these kids not looking for. The only thing they will demand, do. demand. It, it, yeah. It's it's like either that or nothing. Uh, you know, unless I literally have to bribe my kids to sit on the couch and watch a game with me on the actual TV. I bribe uh, them with ice cream. This this is the same thing I say all the time. My kid will not sit there and watch on the couch, but he knows every baseball player because of MLB The Show. And if you want to drill down into his medulla and then stick your arm in and get my wallet. Get it on the video game because my credit card is saved on the Xbox and they have those those evil geniuses with the, the in-game skins. purchases. 
Yeah, the skins, the in-game uh, purchases. So you have the same experience as I do. Now I'm getting angry. <laughs> me too. <laughs> good, me too. But, but good luck reaching all those people now. Exactly. All right, Jessica Berman, the new commissioner of the NWSL. Thanks so much for taking a few uh, minutes with us. Thank you for having me. I feel so vindicated, Edmund. For all of my talk on focus group of one, and if people think I'm crazy or you, I think, I'm going to guess, I won't speak for you, but I think you're like, holy bleep, there's something to it. Like, (laughs) that was the exact same experience that I have been talking about for a year, correct? She has twice as much credibility, Scott, because she has a, a focus group that's twice as big, in my, in my opinion. <laughs> that, that's true. But I'll bet you the answer on those trading cards was, sorry, we don't have it. 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 Yeah, totally. I mean, there's so much in there that I thought was super interesting about what she was saying. One, I, I do think it is really interesting and, and very unique that in in, a, in its search for a commissioner, the 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 Players Association for, for Women's Professional Soccer was brought into the, those conversations, was able to talk to her. I think that's awesome. Like, I think that that shows... Uh, uh, probably a, a safer and maybe more reliable relationship between between player and league than we see in a lot of maybe the bigger professional leagues. And Scott, the the, the bit she was talking about, kind of the difference between diversity and inclusion. The the thing that we, we we always talk about, the NFL has three black coaches. All we talk about usually is is the numbers to see kind of how diversity is creeping into into leadership in sports. But as she was mentioning, the numbers are actually the less important part of that equation. The important part Part, being obviously the inclusion and how the, the those people are welcomed, how they are empowered, how they are emboldened, etc. Um, I think that's a really interesting kind of way to think about the way that the sports industry, like a lot of industries, are, are, are steadily diversifying. I know this is probably an easy hurdle to clear, but I do hate it when the guests are more erudite than I <laughs> or you and her turn of phrase of inflection point, turning point. Yeah. You know, that got me angry because it was really good line. And like, I understood <laughs> what she meant. For next yeah, time? I wrote it yeah. down. I wrote it yeah. down. And maybe I'll play her game, though, and say, I don't remember who said this, but I'll say it wasn't me. But, you know, this is, <laughs> this is where we stand. Anyway, he is Edmund Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. Our social media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will very soon become the Sportico Media Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.